0: This is the show, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it is now.
0: (laughs) Where's my bell? I need a bell.
1: Yeah, I don't... I need a bell. It's been a week, Zach. It's been a week.
0: It feels a lot longer than a week.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I What's been going on for you? I
0: don't know how time works. So very many things have been going on with me. Um, Just, well, I'm back in the States, so... (laughs)
1: <laughs> that we can tell by the quality of your internet.
0: Yeah, and the excitement and jubilation in my voice. Um
1: You're not in a Tropical so, Wonderland anymore, Zach.
0: I'm not in a Tropical Wonderland anymore, and I do I do miss miss that. I mean I don't miss the hundred and fourteen degree Fahrenheit weather. Um, but you know
1: you, you mean you don't you you uh you would miss hundred and fourteen degrees Fahrenheit when you're back in the northeast and it's almost June and 50 degrees outside.
0: Yeah. I don't know what that's about. That's I, I I, first, I thought it was just me. I was like, wow, it's really cold here. But no, apparently everyone else has also agreed. It's cold here. It's
1: just stinking cold.
0: I was, I I was, I was just like outside on a back patio and there was, there was a fire and like, it felt like it's like October or November or something.
1: mm -hmm. I'm I'm supposed to go biking in the morning because I need to not be fat anymore. And I'm just dreading it because it's going to be 45 degrees.
0: (laughs) Oh, God, it's going to be so cold. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be wearing mittens.
1: 45 (laughs) degrees on a road bike, biking through Manhattan, (laughs) avoiding taxis. It's Mm -hmm. living the dream.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Mhm. Good times. Yeah. That's why I'm surrounded by a plethora of drinking options at the moment.
0: (laughs) It's true. Don't you have, like, an entire, like, wall of just, like booze
1: i i I have a cabinet
0: yeah i seem to recall yeah but cabinet's a misnomer like the things like what's it like 10 feet tall by like four feet wide it's like
1: only one of the it's a walk-in
0: closet of of liquor Is what we're we're talking about no
1: that is a vast overstatement i have a shelf (laughs) in a cupboard And no, it
0: is a vast overstatement. I mean, your apartment's a walk-in closet. So. This
1: is very true. <laughs> you
0: can't have a walk-in closet of liquor inside your already walk-in closet-sized apartment.
1: <laughs> this is very true. And the only thing sitting in front of me right now is a glass of Trader Joe's wine. So.
0: <laughs> see, see, what I'm picturing now is, you know like those old-time like library rooms where the room is just wall, just just like the all the walls are just bookshelves?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm picturing that, but... It's liquor. That's your apartment.
1: No, it's I'm. You seem to think that I'm wealthy. I, I only have the <laughs> air of being wealthy. I'm, I'm in fact very, of your very voice. poor. And and so I'm drinking a glass of wine from an eleven dollar box.
0: So so speaking of eleven dollar wine, I saw a video the other day on Vox mm-hmm. um, that talked about how expensive wine and really, really cheap wine usually tastes about the same. And most people can tell that the wine's very, very expensive, but it's not because they liked it more. It was was an interesting kind of confusing video that basically tried to explain that if you're looking for wine, you might as well buy the cheap wine. Because the more expensive wine you probably will like less, and the only thing that's good about it is that it's
1: expensive. Yeah, it's all about perception.
0: Yeah, and like they had actually run brain studies, like you know, tests in, on people while they were like measuring brain activity, mm-hmm. and people who knew that the wine was more expensive enjoyed the wine more, even in a test where they had purposefully made the more expensive wine more acidic so the wine was designed to taste worse and yet because people knew it was expensive their brains told them to enjoy it more
1: yeah i think that's pretty well common sense and common knowledge anymore it's it's the same reason people buy stupid designer clothes and like i'm i think we're both kind of more into men's fashion than the average guy but um, true People will buy these really expensive designer clothes not because they actually like them better, but just because they're expensive. And it's the exact same thing with alcohol. They, there is somewhat of a like price to, to quality ratio, but it's not. There's nothing that's going to justify a twelve hundred dollar bottle of wine versus like right. a six dollar bottle.
0: Right. There's a point at which like you stop, uh, the, the price to quality stops being, uh, an even ratio and it just turns into marketing and uh,
2: yeah, it's, it's almost like fine art scarcity. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All of a sudden, like the wine, the wine industry turns into like the fine art industry and something's expensive because everybody, un- unanimously agrees that should be expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's, then it's expensive.
1: And it's specifically designed for people who don't actually care other than just drinking expensive things. Exactly. Yeah. Which is a very definite subset of the market.
0: It's true. And, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, it definitely, it, it exists. It is a, a segment of it, but it's not.
1: Yeah, it's not I'm, something I'm sure do buy into. No. No,
0: not really.
1: So I went Don't. to I was driving last weekend. Did I tell you about this?
0: I I had heard you you had made a, a journey um of of sorts.
1: Yes. Drove actually almost exactly by where you live now, uh through Pennsylvania. Mm. Just went to visit my family in the, in western PA. Very nice. That is entirely too much driving for a weekend, I will tell you. Um six hours. Yeah. Six hours back and there and back. But it was nice being out of the city for a while. I, I definitely undervalue how important it is to just like leave New York for a weekend a month or something.
2: Mhm.
0: It it definitely um resets you. I know that was uh that was something that that I needed personally when when I lived in New York was, you know, yeah, time to get away from all of the people and the things and the stuff and just be in a in a completely different environment.
1: Yeah, because Central Park definitely just doesn't count. I, I if love Central Park. see
0: skyscrapers, but... it doesn't count.
1: Yeah, I love Central Park, and I go there on a fairly regular basis, and same with, like, Prospect Park and others, but sure. it's not the same as actually being out in the middle of nowhere.
2: mm
1: yeah. are What are some of the things you uh, would do to kind of escape when you were here?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the parks and, you know, being somewhere where there was grass or, at least what looked like grass from a distance um, was nice, but I—I I, I know that was a—that was one of like the biggest things that um, was a challenge for me when I first moved to the city. Was hey, how do I get to where there's no one around? Uh, because in, in New York City, it's like, well, that's called leaving the city.
1: Yeah, that place doesn't <laughs> exist doesn't. here. And I think the closest <laughs> you can get is exactly. like uh Park or something. We, we suddenly yeah. just both went to opposite sides of the city. I don't know how that happened.
2: <laughs>
0: exactly, but exactly like that's the point. Like you, you can't find that place. No. Um,
1: Far Rockaways is, is basically the islands.
0: That's long it might as well be the Caribbean. <laughs> it's another. It's another time zone. I'm pretty sure.
1: It's, oh. it's Jamaica, like annex. <laughs>
0: exactly, northern Jamaica. Yeah. Um, yeah so like I that was a big thing. Like I, you know, being from, from Pennsylvania, from the woods, um, uh, I needed to be somewhere where I could hear crickets rather than ambulances and, you know, just be in a different place somewhere that is, you know, relatively far away from people and could actually hear my own thoughts and, and recharge. Um, (laughs) because New York is, is an interesting place and it's, got a lot to offer but you have to be on th- almost the whole time that you're there um you're always doing something you're always going somewhere um there's always something going on and someone around and it i mean it never ends um
1: yeah I've, so. I've, I've, i found myself thinking a similar thing like almost um just like deciding that i'm getting old when i have realized i have to start scheduling time <laughs> that i'm just gonna do nothing Mm -hmm. because if i don't schedule time to like sit on the couch and i don't know watch hulu then i'll just be doing things with either people or work or exercise or whatever 24 hours a day and you'll die eventually
0: yeah exactly you i mean you know you and i both know friends of ours who who have a different um tolerance
1: level strange people called extroverts i don't know how they work
0: I don't either. Um I feel like it's one of those things like you I don't know, uh, growing up like when I was younger I always used to think that uh, you know, like I'm talking like really little, like under 10 years old, like when back when like you still had like a bedtime and things <laughs> like, oh, well, like, yeah, everybody goes to bed at this time of night and then they get up at this time in the morning. And that's how everybody works. Like everything goes like that. Everybody needs this many hours of sleep in order for them to live. Um, no. And as as I got older and had this revelation that, hey, that's not how this works, actually. And there's some people who can live on like five hours of sleep, and then other people who need like ten. Um, it's like wow, like I don't understand how how that works, but it's it's cool, and it and it definitely is one of those things that varies person to person.
1: My my second roommate is like that. He uh, <laughs> like, like last night, for example, the five
0: hour or the ten hour.
1: The five hour. I'm closer to like mm-hmm. the nine or ten. Um, mm-hmm. But like last night, I got home really like around eleven thirty p.m. or something uh-huh. uh he, he was already here uh ended up going to bed pretty soon because i was exhausted he was still up like texting his girlfriend <laughs> um and then like five twenty rolls around and he's popping out of bed and he's gonna go play basketball with one of his friends mm. and <laughs> like how huh. how does one function on five hours of sleep and then go to work that day
0: yeah it's it's one of those things, like, it blows me away. It's got to be something where, you know, different people have different tolerance levels for, you know, how much, you know, time their body needs to recharge. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I, I mean, I I assume it's, you know, partly environment, partly, you know, genetics, as most things like this are. But it's, I don't know, I'm certainly jealous of those five-hour people. I'm I'm like you, I'm more on the nine, nine-hour-ish scale, yeah. and I'm, you know... I rarely give my body nine hours of sleep a night because I got too much stuff to do. Yeah, I can't remember the
1: last time I actually got eight, but yeah, (laughs) Yeah. nine is like the dream.
0: Um. Yeah, so so that's the sort of thing like your body, at a certain point you lose control over that and your body needs, you know, is going to take control and say, nope, we're not doing anything right now. Um, (laughs) And if you don't schedule that time in advance, that's where you crash. That's where you know you you <laughs> your body's like you you have failed me, and now we're done, <laughs> and, and that's that's the end of that.
1: Yes, I I do that about once a year. Where I'll, where I'll come home from work on like a Thursday or Friday or something near the end of the week,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and fall asleep immediately, and then wake up like mid morning the next day. Yep. <laughs> like I, yep. I don't know what happened. I don't know how many days have necessarily passed. I just know that the sun was setting when I fell asleep and now it's noonish.
0: <laughs> I think I think the worst I had like that it was when I, I had lived in New York for over a year at this point. It had been an atrocious work week, just crazy amounts of overtime. I I did something. I had somewhere I needed to be Saturday morning. Um I got back to my, my place around probably like, you know, four or five. Um and I remember saying, "You know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take a nap. I'm out." I woke up at like two the next day.
1: Two p.m.
0: <laughs> two p.m. the the following like Sunday at two p.m. I'm like, "What <laughs> just happened?" Like I, I felt like I had like waking up from a coma or something. Um, my body went into like you know emergency response mode and it's like what's what's going on where am i what day is it what, what country am i in yeah. holy crap
1: has the apocalypse come yet like
0: yeah like i almost fell asleep for 12 hours what just happened yeah who are you Rick Van yeah it was it was weird man i was like hmm i think uh i think my body's trying to tell me something here
1: so I'm curious um we got on this topic from from road trips. You've been on road trips mm-hmm. before? I'm assuming. Absolutely. So I
0: love I love a good road trip.
1: Do you, in historically have you gone on road trips with people or by yourself?
0: Um historically I've always gone on road trips with people. Um I I don't generally do um road trips on my own.
1: Okay. Cuz uh, I'm I'm trying to figure out how my brain works just as a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In, in an ongoing quest, I'll never understand myself. A life,
0: a lifelong journey.
1: Yes. <laughs> Most people call it living. Um, it's true. And I find that my brain does interesting things when, like, left alone without stimulation for hours on end, like driving. Mm-hmm. Driving is this really interesting thing where it's – you obviously need to be awake for it. But it's like almost all of your brain just shuts down and it's just kind of going – at yep. a certain point, unless you're in an unfamiliar area and you're actually like trying to navigate or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, this last week, I found myself like in the middle of eight uh, Interstate 80, going through Pennsylvania, like trying to justify to myself like accomplishments in my my life to offset the cost of my own existing. <laughs> okay,
2: <laughs> right. You were
1: really bored. <laughs> I was extremely bored, and, yeah, I don't know. My brain goes weird places when I'm bored. Um, normally I have, like, a manic depressive note, nice. I think. But
2: <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I'm driving along the road and, like, trying to weigh, like, things that I've accomplished in my life versus costs on society. Like, hmm. my carbon emissions versus this website I made that helped some people. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I came to the conclusion that that's totally a losing battle because there's nothing I could ever do in my life that will offset the cost of my own existence.
0: Absolutely, that is a that is a ledger where you will forever be in debt. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know what the actual like outcome of that is. Besides, I ranted to my roommate about this for a while, and then tried to I tried to make myself feel better by then like itemizing how all of the other people in the world are horrible too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, so rather than going with, uh, you know, uh, strictly, um, you know, you versus, you know, the way thing, you know, your, your, your impact, we're going instead with like a ranking. So how do you rank in comparison to everyone else?
1: Right. And I still came out near the <laughs> bottom of that. I and mean, I've come to the conclusion that this is a totally losing game. And even there's no way I can compare myself to anyone and come out on top.
0: Uh. <laughs> well, true. I, I mean, to be fair, you're inherently biased. And because I know you, you're inherently biased against yourself. Right. Um, <laughs> so... Which
1: is, It's another one of those parts of my brain that I don't fully understand. It's... and The, the best illustration I can come up with is, like, there's a troll inside my head. Um. <laughs> <laughs> like Like, the standard old bridge troll, like... You've yeah, got to yeah, you have gotta pay the troll toll kind of thing. Yeah,
0: um, yeah. There's a troll doll in your brain.
1: Yeah, he's, he's living under the bridge of my amygdala or whatever, and just just constantly like, anytime I get some some bright idea, like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's a that's a good thing you've done. Like he pops out and says, "Here's the troll."
0: <laughs> just terrorizing the goats of your imagination.
1: Right, right. He's just. Yeah, killing all my livestock up in all the business. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can relate. I mean, I'm also one of those people who, beyond just being my own worst critic, um, am absolutely the. the, the I, I'm, I must also have a troll. Um, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, I, I like to think hanging of him out with, near my amygdala. I like to think of him with a Welsh accent. Like he, he's like <laughs> a he British. Right? Tro- yeah, he's like a British troll with kind of a Cockney thing going on. <laughs> Who do you think tweed you are? And vest. Obviously, he's <laughs> he's wearing like a tweed smoking jacket. Naturally, <laughs> just continually telling me how t- terrible I am.
0: <laughs> Precisely. Well, that is what Brits are best at judging Americans. Right.
1: Right. So like, it, it feels right. He's a condescending Welsh troll. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh,
0: yeah. This. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I can. I can relate. I hear you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to figure out is I don't know, both both of us are at least allegedly creative people. <laughs> uh, people um, have told me that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, so, I,
0: and, I think I, I think that's uh, I think people who aren't creative people call other people creative. Um, and anyone who is creative won't won't, won't describe themselves as that necessarily.
1: Yeah, and then there's the whole subset of people who do describe themselves as like quote a creative type. And yeah, I feel like I. It's just a whole nother deal.
0: I, I don't I don't like that word as a noun.
1: No, uh, I really really despise that word as a noun.
0: Yeah, I, I mostly just those, because
1: I get mixed in with that type of people.
0: Right, and I think it's one of those things. I had I, I listened to someone who described the difference between. Um, uh, someone being a chef and someone being a cook. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because the people who I would consider to be chefs, whether, you know, just due to their accomplishments, the, you know, restaurants they own, the, you know, things I've seen them do on television, whatever, I would consider them to be a chef. They don't describe themselves as that. They call themselves a cook. Mm-hmm. And instead, it's a term that's an honor that's that other cooks will refer to them by um, it, you know it's, it's different than just you know calling someone professor because they're a professor um, instead it's you know like you call them a chef because you're showing respect to them um,
1: yeah, rather than something the, that they consider look at the root themselves. word of that word chef yes. in French it's chief
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, so it I mean not too many people who are actually like legitimately chiefs would dub themselves a chief they just kind of get that title <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. And you ask them what they do, they're not a chef. They they, they cook things.
1: Yeah, you know, or, or they run a do. kitchen that's or something. Exactly.
0: Exactly. exactly. Um I kind of so I kind of think about that from a creative perspective, you know, other people might refer to, you know, you or I as creative people, but um I don't always necessarily feel very creative. <laughs> right.
1: right. But anyway, what I was getting at is, so both of us are allegedly creative people, and you say that you also deal with some sort of troll in your brain. And it's like this... Indeed. It's this almost, I don't know, stereotypical thing where you'll have the artist type, like Elliot Smith or Kurt Cobain or something, dealing mm-hmm. with some sort of depression. I'm just wondering, like, what what is the reason? What is the correlation for or what is the reason for that correlation? Like why do creative type people at least stereotypically have issues Mm -hmm. with depression like that?
0: I think it's, I think it's a fascinating thing to, to think about because the, the consistency where you see those two things overlap is, is way too common for it to just be a coincidence. Um,
1: yeah, even though it is a stereotype now, it, that stereotype came from somewhere.
0: Exactly, exactly, and I think, I think part of it has to do with the just the nature of what that means. You know, what what you mean when when you say that someone is creative. The point of that is that they think outside of the box. They they think and come up with solutions that are different than the conventional or different than the average solution to a problem, a situation, whatever. Um, by doing that, someone gets that term then creative, or, hey, that was really creative of you, or look at how creative they are because they're doing something different than everyone else. Where I think the the depression or the self-doubt or the, in many cases, almost self self-loathing comes from is societal pressure to be in the box, to be doing things a certain way, to... (laughs) These two things end up causing a tremendous amount of friction and always be at war with themselves. Um, And I think the individual, in a lot of cases, is never 100% committed one way or the other. Um, They may be really happy with the creative things that they do or the creative ideas and solutions that they have, the ways that they express themselves creatively, they enjoy that. But there's something in the back of their mind that's always lecturing them or chastising them for not being conventional, for not being um, what they quote unquote should be. Um, That notion of should, of normalcy, of, you know, of all of those things, it's something that so many of us are almost programmed to strive for, and yet when you are creative, you can't be that at the same time, um, and that internal friction and struggle leads to uh, those sorts of um, self-loathing and, and in many cases, depression, I think. I, I think that's that's the core of it.
1: Yeah, I th- I think that there's an element of that, but I almost wonder if the correlation goes the opposite direction that people normally think it does. Mm. I, I wonder if people who have that sort of predisposition to be self-doubting and depressive in nature are, if that somehow leads them to more creative professions. Because mm. mm-hmm. I, I think in, I, I don't have any other data apart from my own experience, but I know like, growing up constantly having self issues with self-doubt, um, self-defeating attitude, everything like that constantly Mm -hmm. drove me to try harder to like impress people and almost to just prove to myself exactly what we started this conversation with that. I was like some, my own existence was actually worth something. And because of that, I became like a, I don't know. I'd like to think a decently skilled programmer and was able to get a job early on. And, all those things that I probably would have never done had I been the normal kid who was like good at sports.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it does almost in a way become a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. where it, it, it turns into an engine that, that cycles and spurs on a person down that creative path, Um, you know, down that direction of, you know, whether it, it starts off in one way of, you know, Oh, I, I, you know, I hate this about myself, or I'm not, you know, this way, or whatever. Um, and you know, I wish I was, and so instead, I've got to prove myself in this other way. Um, I, I do think that there's kind of a snowballing effect with that, um, where it, it leads you down and continues you down that that same path.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I think we're so early on in. Just the whole study of of how the brain works, certainly, but also how all these antidepressant drugs and everything affect it. I don't know if we actually have any definitive answers for decades to come. But it is interesting no, to think true. about for sure.
0: Yeah, it's it's something that there's there's both a lot of stigma to it, which I think is worth worth discussing as well, why I think that why I think there's that and why I think that still exists today while there isn't so much stigma around other kinds of um illnesses and medical conditions but there there seems to always be when it's anything um mental um but, but it's, it's interesting just, you
1: say that because i i hear people say the word stigma is uh, specifically mm-hmm. referring to like mental health illnesses quite a mm-hmm. lot um but i've never had like an outsider's perspective on what they actually mean by that so when you say stigma what do you mean by that well,
0: I think I can come to this kind of from a, um, an interesting perspective. Um, my younger brother, um, he's, my, my, my brother is two years younger than me. Um, and he's been diagnosed as high functioning autistic. Um, mm-hmm. at least that's the current, um, definition over my lifetime that, that's changed. Um, he was originally, um, referred to as having Asperger's syndrome, which, now medical professionals and researchers believe doesn't actually exist and now it's just included in the autistic spectrum so um as someone who's grown up with you know a person in my life who's you know has a mental illness I've seen how other people view and refer to him and just kind of try their best to interact, um, with that and deal with that. Um, and even like to the point now where when I just say, yeah, you know, my, my younger brother, he's, he's autistic. Um, if they've never met him or don't know him, even just saying that you get some sort of reaction, they know what's, what's going on. Uh, or at least they think they know what's going on. Um, some mental image comes to their mind. Um, but it, it's a sort of thing where it's it's almost different than if he you know was deaf or you know had some had some different sort of from birth chronic malady that was more physical rather than having this strong mental component because the impression that i've always gotten from from people and and maybe you know maybe i'm wrong but uh, today it's it's more common for people to think if there's something physically wrong with you, you're still at least a normal person and you can overcome that physical uh, handicap. But when it's a mental issue, it's almost like there's, well, there's no hope. There, there's, there's, there's nothing anybody can do. Nobody knows what's going on and that's just the way they're going to be for the rest of their life. Um, that's kind of what I mean by stigma. That when it's a mental thing, it, the implication is that it's irreversible, always terrible, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's a, it's a path that once you go down, there's no coming back from it and you have no hope of a normal life ever again. Um, whereas mm-hmm. when something's physical, um, I don't think there's that, impression anymore i think at one time there may have been but in today you know today i don't think there's that same um inherent implication when someone has a physical handicap
1: yeah i I think you're right and and part of that is probably just the advancements that have been made with like medicine and and medical things for being able to treat physical illnesses that so far just haven't happened for mental mental illnesses. So
0: exactly. It, it's I think, still
1: treated as a much more insurmountable thing.
0: Yeah. And I think it's kind of what you, what you had touched on that, you know, it's just something that science knows so little about. So there's still, because there's so much mystery, so much just, just unknown. <laughs> there, there's so much that's unknown about it that uh, isn't the case with a lot of physical Illnesses and and diseases and conditions anymore that um that that is a big reason why uh, I think it has such a a stigma still when it comes to mental illness I I think it goes back to that societal idea of normalcy um because even you know someone who's who's handicapped you know say they're they're born and they can't you know they their right leg is crippled um oh well we can fix that we can you know get you a prosthetic and you'll be back to normal that. You know, you you have, you know, two functional working legs. Um, and that's normal again. And <laughs> I think it's really hard for people to define what normal mentally is. Um, I think
1: it's, yeah, like it's can, a much more complicated thing. Leg. Yeah, we can give you a prosthetic leg if, if your shin is missing. But mm-hmm. if your brain doesn't work right, what are we going to do? We're going to give you this pill that messes with some chemicals. It's like the chemical equivalent of a sledgehammer and maybe that'll do something and maybe yeah, it won't maybe it'll think, make you worse it's it's like it's, the middle ages
0: it, exactly it's like we're we're using bloodletting to cure a flu or something you know it's yeah it, it, it's very
1: it's like the simpsons episode where it's like the simpsons episode dr nick just walks into the room and says let's get you all covered in leeches like
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like exactly it's
1: not actually going to fix anything and it's probably going to make it worse
0: yeah. And so much of that is because, you know, at that time, you know, nobody knew what the right way necessarily was like, oh, this is how, you know, the human body works in in this way. I think, I don't think anybody can say with confidence, this is how the human brain works. This is how everyone's mind works. Because I, I don't think everyone's mind works the same way. Um, and that's what makes it so challenging when you deal with any kind of mental illness. You're talking about something that the goal is to make them normal again, and you don't know what that is. So how can you reach for that goal?
1: Yeah, that that, that question of what is normal is something I kind of keep coming back to. Because
2: mm-hmm.
1: like I've talked to doctors before and thrown around the idea or you know, the possibilities of like taking a... I don't even know what they're called, the generic term antidepressant medications. And I've always ended up saying no because, like, I tell the doctor, like, tell me what this is going to do to my brain. How is this going to affect who I am as a person? And they can't tell you because they don't know. Yeah. Like, so they can say it's going to, quote, make you better, but... What does that actually mean compared to who I am now? What is, what is that going to change? Who am I going to be in three months if I go on this?
0: Exactly, and the greater fear is is that then permanent.
1: Yeah, is you it know, permanent? And is it something I actually like better than what I am now?
0: Exactly. It, it, you're, At least
1: you what I am feel now is like known.
0: The dice. Exactly. Yeah, the, <laughs> that old saying. You know, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't um, you, yeah, you've spent the, a lifetime dealing with this you, um, <laughs> and, and at the very least coming to terms and some sort of basic understanding of who you are, how your mind works, how you live your life. And, uh, you know, when you start messing with the mind, it's, it's really scary stuff. I, I know it, it is to me, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the nightmare for me, you know, growing old, like I, I'm terrified I'd lose my mind. I mean, granted, I know it. I wouldn't know because that's the whole point. I've lost my mind. But still, it it freaks me out just to think about that. I wouldn't, you know, I, I'd be insane and not know it.
1: <laughs> or you'd be normal and hate it. Like
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's strange, um. And, and I think it's one of those cases where it's so easy to say, well, I should be like this. I should feel like X or Y or like this person does or like that person does. Um, but that's, again, that, that feeling, that impression is based off of, if not flawed, incomplete information. Because yeah, you think this person feels can, this way about that, but you're not them. <laughs> you don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, who can look at anyone else and say what they're actually feeling like? Exactly, like you're, you're seeing a presentation of who they are, just like they're seeing a presentation of who you are, but you have absolutely no idea what's going on in their head.
0: Mm-hmm. It's like it's like if you think about um, 3D graphics, um, it, I don't know if you've, if you've done much work with... Um, 3d models and and creating um cgi imagery but there's a big difference between the model you know that that you see that you work on as the as the creator animator you see all the points the faces all the the geometry all of the stuff that went into creating this thing but the finished product what other people see is a render it's something that it's it's a process that you set the rules for and that you then run this character through it's not the character it's not the real quote unquote you know or or the original thing it's it's a facsimile it's a it's a projection it's what you want this thing to look like um i think i think it's a good illustration for how we live our lives
1: yeah and uh, one of the the root causes that got me thinking about this is I think that that whole effect of projection versus reality causes a lot of people to th- to think that some of these mental issues don't actually exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the, there's a lot of mental issues like the whole autistic spectrum that is very evident and you can't deny it. like this is a medical issue. But then there's this whole other range of things that. Whether, whether it's depression or whether it's these illnesses that people are just constantly in pain and no one seems to know why, mm-hmm. where they're not actually observable to anyone else. They're just going on inside your brain. And because of that, people don't really think that they're real, even if they oh, say yeah. they do.
0: Yeah, and that's, and that's the worst sort of situation where, um, especially if you're the person, because then you start to feel like you're crazy. You start to feel like, am I wrong? Am I imagining this? When you can't necessarily prove what's going on and nobody else can either. And it's (laughs) all of a sudden it's like inception. (laughs) You're like, what's reality? What's not? (laughs) Holy crap. You know, what's, what's going on? Um,
1: Yeah. Am I actually crazy or do I just think that I'm crazy and that does that actually make me crazy for thinking that I am?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Or does it make me sane? Like, I don't, <laughs> it's a weird riddle, um, that's, yeah, That that's, a, that's difficult to unravel.
1: Yeah. What got me thinking about this is I was talking to a friend of mine about a mutual friend of ours who has had issues, issues with depression in the past, has seen a psychiatrist for it and all, all sorts of things. And Uh, this person that I was talking to just made like the offhand statement that, yeah, I think everyone has issues with depression now. Mm -hmm. And I I don't think he meant anything by it, but I feel like the implications of that one sentence are so huge in that by saying you think everyone has some issues with this problem, you're saying that this problem doesn't really exist and it's no worse for anyone else.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And that's a slippery slope.
1: (laughs) It's super damaging, yeah, because, because it suddenly discredits everything that this one person has gone through and saying yeah. that, oh, that's just a normal thing everyone lives with
0: yeah, and that's and that's where you have yeah it's in to to someone who who is dealing with those sorts of um issues it's it's a sort of thing where you can try to be empathetic or sympathetic. But it's nearly impossible to be when someone's dealing with depression because even if you personally have dealt with depression, it's not the same thing as what they've dealt with. It it might have the same name, but it's not the same thing. You know, I mean, I, you know, I, I can sit here and talk about how I've, you know, I struggle with issues of self-worth, self-confidence, um, dealing with, you know, self-doubt and, and all sorts of those sorts of, you know, similar things, similar, similar terms. Um, but that doesn't mean that I know what you're feeling or anyone else for that matter.
1: Almost the best thing you can say to someone like that is, no, I don't know what you're going through, but still be there for them.
0: Exactly. And I think the reason why that's so difficult is it's so hard for a person to say that because that's not the natural, um, response. You want to say, oh, I know, I know what you've been through, or I know what, what you're going through. Um, it's to the point where that's almost an automatic answer. Um, And in this sort of situation, Mm -hmm. it's not a helpful one, Um, and it it might be well intentioned and well meaning, but it's also probably not a truthful one either. Yeah.
1: So it's almost certainly well intentioned. People mean well when they say it. Sure. They just they don't actually understand what it means.
0: Yeah, and and they can't. um, You know, they can't understand what it means because. When, when you say that, the reason you say that is because to say the opposite, I don't know what you're going through, I don't know how that feels, sounds to the person saying it like I'm giving up on you or I'm giving up on, you know, I'm, I'm writing it off, I can't, I don't know what to, to do um, when that doesn't have to be the case.
1: The, it is a very, very difficult thing to talk to someone about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't really have a good answer for it. But.
0: I, I don't think anyone does. Um, I think it's something that is more and more common that people are talking about it in general. In um, in Which I think is beneficial
1: like... in at least like an education standpoint
0: definitely in an awareness standpoint, because I don't think it's something new. I don't think that, you know, today, all of a sudden, more and more people are dealing with these sorts of issues. I think it's, I think it's been this way for much, much longer. But it's not been something that anyone talks about. That's kind of what I, you know, circling back to the idea of the stigma surrounding mental illnesses. Um, I, you know, we've reached a point where you know, someone can be, you know, a paraplegic and nobody really, you know, looks at them in any different sort of way. Um, it's just, oh, okay, that's, that's a thing that they, they deal with and I can still, you know, get to know them and, and love them and work with them and, and whatever. Um, but if someone says, oh, you know, I have bipolar, that's a very different reaction. (laughs) Um, And generally, they get very different treatment, I think, Um, because more and more, especially today, people still don't know how to respond or how to react or how to interact with someone when they know that they have a, a mental illness, whereas we know how to do that with physical issues.
1: Yeah. You're definitely right. It's not a new thing. It's... I mean, look at... There's no way you can look at Van Gogh and say, "No, no, that dude was completely normal." Oh
0: yeah, or, or, or Einstein, <laughs> he, for, for that matter.
1: Yeah, but <laughs> at know, the same time, like, like if you were to go back in, at the same time if you were to go back into Van Gogh's time period and say, or to to get him to like come out of the village and say, "Yeah, I have issues with depression," I mean, like 14 people would just hop out and say, "Well, big big, big deal, I'm missing a leg," like. <laughs> exactly there's just like a a tree of priorities
2: (laughs) like that dude
1: has three arms and i have one like these are more important
0: yeah oh yeah and and back in you know you talk about back in times like that the middle ages and and forward you know if you weren't born completely physically fine there was a good chance you weren't going to live very long period you know Mm -hmm. that mental you know Illnesses notwithstanding, those the physical things were going to kill you. You you weren't going to live for a long period of time, or you wouldn't be a <laughs> talking about your your value to society. You wouldn't be a very valuable or contributing member of society if you had a you know you were born crippled. Um, yeah, you have, net, a, uh,
1: your net contribution isn't real high on that one.
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> if you're not a part of the royal family, you're screwed. You know that's that's, that's the, the the bottom line there, um, and that's not the case today anymore. Um, you know the, the the stigma back then was just as strong for physical ailments as it was for for mental ones. Um, and today, I think the only one that really still exists in any widespread degree is you know those those issues and feelings towards mental mental problems.
1: You know, I, I suppose in a way it's a first world problem, right? <laughs> like, yeah, we don't have to worry about black yeah. flag anymore. So let's move on to this. But.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. And and I think it is to a certain extent. I think the, you know, the, the comment that, oh, everybody's dealing with that sort of thing today is not helpful. <laughs> but I think the idea that... Um, more and more people are talking about it, or more and more people are realizing, hey, um, I don't think in the same way as other people, or or whatever. Just just the idea that hey, maybe there's not a normal when it comes to how a mind works, um, is something that I think more and more people are thinking about or being willing to consider today. Because personally, I think that's I think that's a, a truth that there's no such thing as a as a normal. Mind, and that we all exist somewhere within a spectrum, um and that we're all flawed and we're all you know gifted in different ways <laughs> in different combinations of things, and you know whether that's genetics um brain chemistry, whatever um, I think everyone's mind exists somewhere in a spectrum, and that it's not really fair to say, well, his mind works normally in. Yours
2: doesn't. We
1: we are all along the spectrum of the fatal disease called humanity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: You know, no one has survived it yet. <laughs>
0: Not a one. No,
1: no. <laughs> we're working on it though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, how have you been adjusting to being back in the states?
0: Um. Well, it's been. It's been interesting. We didn't exactly arrive the uh the way that we had expected to. Um coming back to the States my wife was actually pretty sick, so um for like about the first week she was uh she was kind of recovering from that. She's she's doing much better now. Um but yeah, so it kind of, you know <laughs> was uh was not uh the way that you necessarily wanna return home. <laughs> is sick. But it's um, it's been okay. It's uh, it's weird. The idea of home, I think, is um, is a difficult one. As someone who's lived in multiple places for long periods of time, um, I don't want to be all cheesy and say home is where the heart is because that's not quite what I mean. But
1: um, you You don't have like an embroidered like potholder where it says home is where the heart is on it.
0: Yeah, yes, exactly. I made it a whole class years ago.
1: Um, That's no, how you won Jackie over.
0: Exactly, yes. My wife loves my mad needlepoint skills. Uh, Who doesn't? It's true, I am endearing. Uh,
1: <laughs> I need a <laughs> um
0: No, no, uh, what, what I kind of mean is that... Um, I don't necessarily feel like any particular place is uh, is home. I think once you reach a certain level of comfort somewhere it it gets that that designation um, and I think different places get that designation quicker than others um, you know for instance i'm I'm recording this right now from my in law's house um, I'm reasonably comfortable here, but I don't, I don't know if I'd quite call it home yet. Um, the, the little apartment that, you know, that we live in here in, in Pennsylvania, that, that felt like home once I finally made it inside the doors there. And, and, you know, it was place that I knew was mine and that, you know, I didn't, didn't have to worry about, you know, messing anything up or, (laughs) or not doing anything in the right way. It's, oh no, you know, this is somewhere that I'm, I'm in control of. Um, I think that plays into it too. You know, how much control I, I have over my environment, um, makes me more or less comfortable in it. Um,
1: that's such an important thing to keep like your own sanity.
2: mm -hmm.
1: Like, I don't, do you get this way where like wherever you are calling home gets cluttered and that immediately just stresses you out beyond belief?
0: Yeah, it gets to the point um, – I think dishes are probably like the first things that start messing with me um, where I'll, I'll start to lose the ability to think straight or focus on other things. Mm-hmm. And the ironic part is that doesn't necessarily mean that I immediately then do the dishes. That no, would be it just the means smart you're claustrophobic
1: and your blood pressure goes up.
0: Like... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just get more stressed out. It doesn't yeah. mean that I fix the pain point necessarily. It just means I start getting more and more stressed. Um, and once I, you know, can do that sort of like clean sweep, all right, put stuff away, clean stuff out, reorganize things, get rid of all sorts of crap that's built up. Um, yeah, I absolutely feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. and calmer because I think it's, uh, exercising that control over my environment.
1: Yeah, totally. It's. It's like acknowledging that you've lost control of the space that you'd view as your dominion, and then that stresses you out and you have to re-exert the control to like regain your sanity. Mm-hmm. I, that happened to me earlier today. I, I left my windows open this morning when I left for work because you know, nice weather here. Um, sure. But it's dusty, or it's New York, so it's immediately dusty. So I exactly. walked, in the, <laughs> walked in the door from work, and it's my table, and everything is just covered in New York dust which immediately just makes me like feel claustrophobic and freak out so i spent the next Mm -hmm. 20 minutes just like dusting surfaces and pictures and everything to like prevent (laughs) myself from jumping out a window so (laughs) re-exerting control on my environment
0: (laughs) yeah so so when we when we were down in nicaragua like after we'd been there for a couple of weeks we we'd only been there like two or three weeks um we had been out most of the day, um, visiting the, the coast. Um, so we had been, been down along the beach and the winds were insane. I'd, I'd never experienced winds like that, that didn't come along with a storm. You know, in, in this area, you'll, you'll get, you know, super strong gusts of winds or, you know, stuff that's, that's really forceful, but it's, there's rain coming or, you know, there's a storm brewing or something. This was clear blue skies and, like, 35-mile-an-hour winds. It was strange. Um, when, we, when we made it back to our apartment, we, we realized that those winds had come not just along the coast, but they had made it all the way back to the city. And we walked into our house, and there was probably a quarter inch of dirt and dust over everything. The entire kitchen our our dishes we had just washed that were drying in the sink, the like our couch just everything just had been like sandblasted. And it's so you know, we're tiptoeing in and we're like, Holy crap, how are we gonna clean all of this? Like, oh my word. Every you, you inch like of everything. The,
1: you feel like you left for the day and accidentally fell asleep for twenty years and then
0: yeah, like all Wait, of a sudden our house is an half archaeological buried. dig. It was really strange.
1: <laughs> um, you had no idea there was a sandstorm today.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was that same sort of thing where we were trying to like clean off the essentials. It's like, okay, all of those dishes that I just did, time to wash them again. Or All right, let's, let's get the countertop and the couch cleared off. But I think we were still sweeping that dirt and dust away. Like three days later, we were still finding surfaces that were... Covered in dust and it 's like Ugh, it's, I have this I have this, mental,
1: I have this mental picture of you and Jackie in that house from uh, interstellar <laughs> with all the plates turned <laughs> upside down yes, yeah it
0: was it was uh, yeah, it was basically like that
1: yeah. you <laughs> saw that movie right
0: I have not yet I, I know the scene to which you 're referring, but I have not actually seen that movie yet that uh, okay. that one came around and got popular while I was busy with other things. So I have not had the pleasure yet.
1: Okay. Everyone keeps trash talking that movie, but I genuinely enjoyed it. I think I think well, you would as a, well.
0: It's a Christopher Nolan movie, so I'm assuming you enjoyed it and I'm also assuming it was probably 4 to 5 hours long.
1: It was not quite 3 hours, I want to say.
0: Um, okay. See that hey. that's that's become a hallmark I've noticed of of Christopher Nolan's movies. They're usually like a good forty-five minutes to an hour longer than any other movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I won't lie; it did have its weak points. I mean, I'm not going to spoil it here, but not all of, like the, not a hundred percent of the plot makes sense. It's not concrete, mm. but the effects and a lot of the science and a lot of the storytelling is just very, like, genuinely high quality.
0: Yeah, I definitely, I definitely would uh, would be. You know, I, I definitely would like to see it. Um I, I, I think that's because that um the other big Christopher Nolan movie that I know and, and enjoy is The Dark Knight. I mean, obviously he did all three, but I think The Dark Knight was, you know, probably his
1: yeah, it was most the, famous. It was the peak of the trilogy, just the same way Empire yeah. Strikes Back.
0: Yeah. And and I have <laughs> I also have issues with that movie, and most of it has to do with, um, because of how long it was, how much happened in one story that I feel ended up detracting and not doing justice to the characters and the core story that was told. Um, So I'd be curious to see if another movie, same director, similar length, I'm curious to see if I end up walking away with those same feelings or not.
1: Well, in in Dark Knight, like the the third act with that whole prisoner's dilemma thing on the boat, and like that that whole part of the movie could have been a movie on its own.
0: And, a- absolutely, I-, I feel like I feel like you needed the other big issue that I have with it is the whole oh, oh, what the Dark Knight ends up being is it's an origin story for Harvey Dent becoming Two Face, and but yet... then he's
1: immediately killed.
0: Exactly. Like, it's the origin story and then death of Two-Face. It's it's just the entire,
1: it's the entire story of Two-Face and it's done in a completely sidelined manner (laughs) where I think most people who watched the movie who didn't read the comic books just didn't even realize that that was a character.
0: Yeah, and it's the sort of thing where, like, he, especially towards the beginning of the movie, the character of Harvey Dent has real power and, and, and I get why he's in that the movie, especially at the beginning, this whole idea of like, well, you know, Batman being the Dark Knight, he wants to take a step back, he knows that being a vigilante isn't, you know, a, a viable long-term strategy, so he wants to get, you know, the people who are supposed to be in charge and supposed to be doing things the right way, he'd like someone to do that legitimately, and that person's Harvey Dent, and I get that it's a beautiful, wonderful, tragic story to see that person end up becoming what he was fighting so hard against, you know, I, I think Two-Face, as far as a Batman villain and his whole uh, backstory and then the character he becomes, I think it's fascinating. I think there's a lot of rich story there. But the problem is that that villain, that character, was put into the same movie with the Joker.
1: <laughs> who, yeah, and completely who overshadowed. Who owns,
0: I mean, in that movie, in a beautiful way, he literally just owns every scene he is in. It's just, you know stunning acting, really great character, you know, all of that. He he owns that movie. Um and I think the entire you know, Harvey Dent and that whole character of Two-Face being and that story being in that movie is completely unnecessary.
1: Yeah. And Interstellar doesn't do quite the same way in that and I don't think it's a story that could be just like easily split up the way The Dark Knight could have been. Um but I don't know. Definitely a lot of things do happen in the plot and not always are they like decisions that you can totally understand or sympathize with. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to talk about it without actually just like spoiling everything.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I'll, uh, I'll have to go watch it and then we can, we can have a proper conversation about it. And, and I certainly don't by any means, you know, try to say that, the, you know, I think the dark Knight's a bad, you know, movie. I, I don't, I think it's pretty good. Um, the you know, I've I've seen bad movies recently. Um I don't know if you saw the the current or latest Transformers movie, the fourth one.
1: I try and avoid those anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh that's a that's a smart smart way to be. Um I, I saw that on a plane because I had no other choice. Um man, that was a rough movie. Oi.
1: So here's the thing. I I live in New York. Obviously, we've established a thousand times. Movies here cost $1.3 billion to go to.
0: <laughs> that's per person, that's, right?
1: Yeah, that's like a medium large amount of money. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And that's no popcorn either, by the way.
1: No, no. I mean, I don't eat popcorn, it gets stuck in my teeth and it's annoying, but. Um,
0: <laughs> You're such an old man. <laughs>
1: They they irritate my dentures, and (laughs) you young people who appreciate popcorn are just not with the air that you breathe. Um, But no, $1.2 billion is is quite a lot for A Night on the Town, especially when Mm -hmm. you're expecting all of your friends to pay equal amount uh, to go share an experience like that. So anymore, I just wait for them to be on Netflix, and I've lost all interest in seeing Transformers by the time it's on Netflix. So yeah, Yeah, I don't uh, end up watching it.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you right here and now. the the fourth the fourth movie. I mean, I saw it pro- like months ago, back in November, um, on our flight back from Ireland, and it was like a three hour movie, and felt like it was six. It was just, <laughs> Bad it enough. was. Oh my word! I mean, it re- literally. The movie restarted itself halfway through. An entire beginning, middle, and end plot was finished halfway through, and then a, this cast of characters start stuff up again. And here we go off to China for the second half of the movie. Uh, and the first half wasn't very good, so I was not excited that here's another entire half of a movie that I have to see. I mean, it was just ugh. It was it was rough. It
1: was you rough. ever you ever seen the old movie Gettysburg?
0: Gettysburg. That name sounds really familiar.
1: So it's like a classic classic Civil war movie. It came out a long time ago.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I was I want to say 10 years old when, and I don't know if it was an official sequel or just like a conceptual sequel. Or somehow a related movie came out. It was called Gods mm-hmm. and Generals. Okay.
2: Um,
1: so my dad was a big fan of, of the movie Gettysburg. He wanted to to go see this movie. So him and I went on like a father-son outing and I have absolutely no idea what to expect because I'm 10 years old and it's a Civil War movie I don't know anything about the Civil War Um, so we're watching this thing and it's just way way more boring than like Gettysburg ever was (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it's just there's just generals in the Civil War and they're like breaking out into weird speeches and saying like audible prayers on the battlefield and it's just really bizarre. So I sit through about two hours of this, and the screen goes blank for a second. I'm thinking, great, movie's over. Ended kind of weird. And then the fateful words intermission appear on the screen.
0: Oof. <laughs> Oof. And you're like, oh, dear.
1: I have never been to a movie in the theater that had an intermission. This is the only one.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you there... know, to, to be honest, I don't think I have either.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... I'm ten year old kid I've been sitting in this chair for two hours at this point. There's like a fifteen minute intermission, and then there's another two hours of <laughs> of random civil war generals like shouting prayers on the battlefield <laughs> it was It was honestly four hours long. It was the weirdest thing i've ever seen
0: I, I I gotta say I think the closest experience I had to that was my i remember my parents being really, really excited that. I was probably around the same same age as you were, around around ten or eleven. Um, my parents were super excited that PBS was airing Gone with the Wind in its entirety,
1: all forty-seven hours of it.
0: <laughs> yes, that's that's and um, that's like a conservative estimate of how long that movie is. Now, mind you, I also had never really seen a movie that was longer than two hours that thing it's got to be at least 6 if not 7 hours long. And it's, it's like the through,
1: PBS version of Pride and Prejudice.
0: Yeah. I mean, through through pop culture I knew that the the climactic final scene had, you know, a lot of meaning and a lot of weight and you know, it was this this really big deal. But you know what? After 7 hours
1: I, Come on, get over with.
0: I also couldn't give a about that movie or that character or anything. I mean, it was. I I get that it's a it's a classic for a reason, and I do think that there is a epic, and I mean epic in the sense of really, really, really long story.
1: Epic in the sense of the Iliad and the Odyssey.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Epic in the, you know, Homeric sense of the word. That's that's that story, and I get that. Is that that an adjective, Homeric? It is now.
1: Apparently. (laughs) You you creative.
0: I'm sure the Greeks came up with that before I did. Uh, But, yeah, I get that there's a lot there, but that's not... I mean, I, I... it's not what I'm looking for when it comes to a movie. It really, really isn't. Uh, I, I think it's the sort of story that belongs in book form. And obviously it was originally a book. And I think that makes a lot more sense. Because when you're talking about the kinds of character development that occurs within a, you know, a character over years, because that movie is designed to span... Basically, the entire Civil War. That's a really long. That's, that's a lot of stuff, and, and obviously, it's like a seven-hour movie. Um, that states too much to show in film, I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's the opposite problem that that Ender's Game movie had. I think.
0: Interesting, because that's another one where I read the book, enjoyed the book, but have not seen the the movie.
2: Um,
1: so, so the issue with that movie is it's an hour and a half long and it covers the entire ender's game book which is like 15 years right
0: yeah yeah at least
1: so the 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 effect is in the book where they spend like hundreds of pages going through the battle room and the simulations and showing this guy's tra- uh, ender's training from his youth up to the point where he's ready to go in this final battle the movie tries to do the same thing, but it makes it seem like his whole training start to finish was about two weeks long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that really does lose something.
1: Yeah, it's – it ends up not – like it was an enjoyable movie. I, I liked watching it, but it just ends up not being realistic because you you have like this 10-year-old kid who they bring into battle school and they train him for about two weeks and then they put him in charge of all of the forces that the human race has, and he's commanding these like fifty-year-old generals who've been doing this for forty-nine more years than he has. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. Just ends up and, not being realistic.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah that that's that's what makes that story so believable is the is the sense of time and scale that it has. Um, it's interesting how I feel like certain stories lend themselves to certain mediums better than others because of the amount of, um, I guess it's believability, you know, how much I'm willing to, to buy about a certain thing. Um, you know, once it's, you know, when it's, it starts getting outside of the realm of realism, you know, how much unrealistic things am I willing to believe, um, about a movie. And, in you know one context i 'll believe a whole lot more than in another. Um, I was just thinking about this recently um one of the the things that I like to do while one of the shows I like to watch while you know working uh you know have that as as background noise are older um superhero cartoons uh you know ones from like the early two thousand starting with like you know Batman the animated series and all the sort of stuff that Bruce Tim um did. Um, and there's some of those, those shows and things that are, first off, are like really, really well done. Um, there's, there's like, there's one episode that I I was watching recently that seriously, I mean, it was, it was extremely well done for what was billed as a child show. Um, with creative cuts and very interesting, um, character interplay and all sorts of, you know, just really interesting stuff. But, What I thought was interesting about it is the sorts of um, action sequences that were done in the cartoon were so much more believable to me than anything I've seen from Arrow or The Flash or the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show or any of these things. Or or like, for instance, the um, trailer that I've seen for the uh, new Supergirl show that's coming out. All of these live-action TV shows, it's more difficult for me to swallow the special effects action sequences than it was in a cartoon context
1: yeah it's almost like an effect of the uncanny valley
2: yeah yeah exactly. it's it's animated
1: and so you realize that this is all superhero garbage and whereas if it's live action you're expected the expected level of realism is supposed to be more
0: yeah and it's why i find that i i actually prefer and enjoy more um shows that aren't necessarily going you know 100 percent for you know like the obvious superhero um you know things i think it's one of the reasons why like arrow was successful as a show from the beginning because there was you know there was an uh <laughs> from the the show's producers in the first two seasons it, no superpowers were was like their mo- their motto um on the show everything had to be you know, much more realistic than that. I mean, obviously they've gotten away from that since the introduction of the Flash spin-off show and, you know, crossover stuff. Um,
1: I think, yeah, I totally think that that's why Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. works as well.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. it, I mean, that's a, a superhero show by Marvel, but there's not actually any superheroes in it.
0: Right, it's about the normal people who then have to deal with all of these superheroes yeah. that exist in their world. Um, another great example of, of this is a show that I love on, on CBS called person of interest. Um, yeah. You keep I telling this, me
1: about the show and I still haven't watched it.
0: I know. I really, I need to, you, you need to watch it. It's, it's the sort of show that I, I'm very impressed. It's um, from Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan's brother. Um, oh, really? I didn't realize that. Yeah. So it's from Jonathan Nolan and it's a bad robot um, production. So JJ Abrams um, house is the, the ones who have, have been working on it. Um, it's, it's fascinating because they kind of, they, they started out the series by saying, Hey, yeah, we're going to be like a procedural type show with, you know, like a, a nice, strong, heavy, you know, tech, um, focus to it. And it's going to be different than, you know, like a, uh, your typical cop show something, but it's, it's still, you know, a, a monster of the week type thing. Don't get too scared. Everything's fine. Um, that's kind of how they, they build the show from the beginning. And now that they're three seasons in, or, or actually four seasons now, um, it's become a very different serialized, uh, continual, you know, season covering uh, story arc show that's, that's just phenomenal. Um, that, that's, you know, that, that's really, really interesting. And the, the core characters, the two main characters are kind of like, if you took the Batman, uh, character and you split them in, in half, and one half was the really intelligent, rich side. And then the other half was the, you know, strong, you know, beating up guys side. Um, those are the two main characters of the show. Um, one is this rich, eccentric, genius billionaire. And then there's this other ex CIA special forces muscle type guy. Um, and together the two of them are working together to prevent crimes before they happen due to some technology that the super smart guy created. Um, so that's kind of like the premise for the show. And in so it's kind of a context, more
1: procedural, like slightly more realistic version of say minority report.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's the sort of thing where I can see the the influences from comic books, from superhero stories, those kinds of things. And, you know, obviously there's, you know, a certain amount of of exaggeration and you know, it's it's not a documentary, you know, it's it's a <laughs> fictional show, but there's a whole lot more realism to it and it's it's grounded in reality in a way that all of these superhero shows with their special effects aren't. And I really, really like that um that sort of thing and that sort of story i'd like to see more things that are informed by superhero storylines and 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 even you know superhero characters, like I said, you know these two main characters from the show really really remind me of a you know deconstructed batman um so i I'm curious to see if if as comic books in other you know, comic book stories and comic book characters find themselves in other mediums going forward. I'm I'm curious to see if we see more of this um, remixing, this deconstruction, and this reusing of those same storylines and characters in other ways.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if we're due for that, but I would definitely appreciate seeing more of that because one of the things that I really miss with this huge boom that we have of, of superheroes and more of the fantasy side of sci-fi is like the good old fashioned hard science fiction. Like, like that we kind of got with interstellar and gravity and a few of the movies like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I th- shows like person of interest, a little bit more procedural, more grounded in reality or closer to that ideal of hard sci-fi.
0: Yeah, and it's I, I again, you know, without without spoiling, you know, anything of the show, I really do think you you should watch it because it's the sort of thing, especially with um, you know, recent uh events with Snowden and developments with the NSA and the sort of um incredible amount of listening and watching and surveillance that the NSA was doing without anybody really knowing those things and those storylines were explored by this show six to eight months before those things were released to the public so it's the sort of like hard sci-fi that is just this tiny bit ahead of where we are right now you know the according to the show the timelines are all you know like real time um it isn't designed to be set you know in the future but it's 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 just the tiniest bit futuristic. Um, it's just the tiniest bit ahead of where we are right now, which helps make it all the more interesting, um, I think. Um, the the other thing that, that you had mentioned about, you know, more sorts of um, hard science um, movies and things, um, I'm really looking forward to. There's uh, supposed to be coming out in November, um, a movie called The Martian. I don't know if you, you've heard about it. No, I haven't. Um, so it's it's based off of a book by the same name, uh, written by a guy named Andy Weir. Uh, fantastic book. Um, really, really interesting hard science. The The basic premise of it is there's a manned mission to Mars, and this guy gets left behind accidentally. So now he needs to figure out how to survive on Mars on his own, with the hopes that he can last there long enough for somebody to come back and get him. Um and it's it's a really really interesting uh interesting novel. He gets into some really interesting believable situations and the entire book, you know, gets into some really nitty-gritty details of the science of how he would how he would be able to survive um on Mars. And the, they've already announced, you know, I think they've already finished filming uh, the movie. It's going to star Matt Damon, um, and it's supposed to be coming out in November. So I'm definitely curious to see if they hold true to the book and really hit, you know, those hard science aspects to the book, if, if, you, if we see that in the movie as well.
1: I'm curious if it comes out, um, if the, the movie ends up being kind of pro-space program or anti-space program.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to, to see that as well. Uh, it, reading through the book, you know, NASA is a you know central feature of it. And that NASA's the ones who, in the book, have you know sent the mission up there. And to be honest, it was one of the more difficult elements of the book to to believe that. Uh, you know, I think the book's set ten to fifteen years in the future. Um, difficult to not, believe
1: in that NASA would be able to do that, or yeah, or what? <laughs>
0: That NASA will have the funding to do that. (laughs) That that I find very difficult to believe. Not that NASA would have the engineers or the expertise to do it, just that NASA would get the opportunity to do it. Um, I don't know if I believe that right now.
1: (laughs) I think that ties into the whole lack of hard sci-fi thing, is that entertainment is slowly training people to... I don't know what the cause of this is, but... I know you're you get nervous if I start advancing a theory an hour and 20 minutes into a podcast but uh, <laughs> I I feel like entertainment at least in the US has uh, greatly contributed to people's like lack of appreciation for science and technology especially when it comes to the more costly side of it with things like NASA and these these huge programs that they don't see immediate benefit to mm-hmm. um because they they forget that all sorts of things like Velcro came out of the space program, um, but so they they forget the real value of, of things like the space program, and then they st- start defunding it, and then we all wonder why kids can't do math. But um, so yeah. I'm always interested to see where where like various bits of media point people if they point to yes, the space program is this valuable thing that we need to keep exploring because that's what we do. Versus, no, the space program is just this thing that we spend money on and don't get any value out of.
0: Yeah, it it is really interesting how those sorts of things, you know, the media, um, books, film, TV shows, all of that really informs things. You know, like you, you look all the way back to Jules Verne's, you know, novels back in the day. That was science fiction. You read any of those novels now, and it's it's difficult to believe it's science fiction because everything in there is possible.
1: Well, and, everything and in has been possible. possible for a while, <laughs> and it's all pro-science science fiction. Yeah, whereas yeah. so much now is anti-science science fiction.
0: True, uh, very much uh, post-apocalyptic. No matter what we do, we're doomed. Um, sort of, sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, and even you think you know back to like the the sixties and and things like um, you know Star Trek, how formative that was for a lot of people who are now in. You know, the scientists who, who you know, went to school, became scientists, um, became engineers. You know, the <laughs> Motorola got the idea for the flip phone from the communicators that were used in Star Trek in the 60s. You know, that that sort of stuff, you know, ends up informing the people who are then in a position to make those things a reality. You know, they, they grew up wanting to make those things a reality because of what they saw.
1: Yeah. Whereas nowadays... Our kids are just being informed about, like, unobtainium hammers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that you know, 25 years from now, somebody's going to want to make the Iron Man suit because they think that's what they should be doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's that's cool. I mean, I I wouldn't mind an Iron Man suit. I'd like to fly to work, but I'd also like a cell phone that lasts more than a day.
0: Honestly, out of all of the Iron Man movies, the thing that I want the most is his office. I want I want those 3D displays. I want the gig, all of that. Just yeah. That that would be amazing. I'd like Jarvis as well. That would also be very helpful. Just all of it. Yeah. That that's yes. what I want the most out of. Somebody else can have the suit. I just want his office.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We uh we need to button this one up, but our next episode we should talk about Age of Ultron.
0: I think we should. In fact, uh, I'm I'm going tomorrow to see it. So uh yeah you're uh, continually
1: I think, behind the curve on movies, and I thought I didn't go to movies, but
0: well, okay. you don't go to movies, but I also don't go to movies
1: <laughs> I see I see <laughs> there's logic in your sayings
0: well i would uh I would ring a bell but uh but I don't have one, so um
1: yeah, we need to invest in a bell and put some money into this podcast
0: i when I signed up to to be on a podcast, I thought like a bell just kind of came with that i uh, I don't know
1: it's funny how that doesn't work.
2: <laughs> I blame Merlin.